Good morning, everybody. Thanks, everybody in the room for braving all the rain to get here today. Appreciate that. Those of you on Grace Live, enjoy that cup of coffee. Okay. Um, yeah, for those in the room, we're passing out $100 bills after this is over. <laughs> okay. Uh, our uh, middle, school, middle school students pastor was going through one of those construction zones recently. You know what I'm saying? Where they stop and it goes down to one lane and they have a person standing there with a sign. Okay. And so they had it up on the, on the stop, but they were waving people forward. <laughs> right. And, and people weren't moving because of why? Because the sign said stop. And they kept waving. And so because people wouldn't move, they just wave more, come on through. And people are getting frustrated. He's getting frustrated. His supervisor's getting frustrated. What did he need to do? He just needed to change the sign. That's all he needed to do. You can avoid the frustration. Sometimes we try so hard to change our words, like by sheer effort, I'm going to change my words. But here's what Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, like the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Think about that. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Proverbs says it this way, says the heart of the wise directs their mouths. So today, here's what we want to talk about. If you want to change your words, you got to change your heart. So if you change your words, you're going to change your heart. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what the Bible is saying. That's what this whole series is about. It's about how do we change our words to being more effective. We'll just put it right there. Stop, slow. Which one should I have? We'll do slow. So I'll try to slow down. <clears throat> if we want to change the words we speak, we have to have a heart change. Those words aren't going to change unless our hearts are changed. Our hearts need to be transformed, and they can be. Now, this whole series is about the power of words. Proverbs says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And it's true. Words can get you fired from your job. Words can destroy a friendship or a marriage or a child or a family. Words can do terrible, terrible things. But words can also do awesome things. You can choose life. That's what the series is about, is choosing life with your words. Choosing the kind of words that Christ wants us to speak that make a difference in our lives and the lives of other people. Because words actually can heal a relationship. It can heal a marriage. Maybe you have a relationship today in your family or friends or whatever at work, and it needs to be healed because you need to speak words that will bring healing to it. It can change the course of your life. It can change the course of other people's lives. It can take a painful past and turn it into a promising future, a painful past into a promising future. And I'm not going to say much more about that because next week, that's what the whole message is about, is about how to change our past, our personal history, our family history, whatever it might be, into a very promising future because God has a better future for us. But in order to change our words, we need to change our hearts. We need to choose life. Now, before we talk about changing our hearts, let's just define... From the biblical perspective, what exactly does it mean when we say heart? What does heart mean? Because our understanding of heart and the Bible's understanding of heart is probably very, very different because our culture is different. There's a great theologian, right? This theologian talked about the heart. He said this. Let's see if you know his name. He said, everybody has a hungry heart. Who said that? Bruce Springsteen. Thank you very much. Guy from New Jersey right here on the second row. Bruce Springsteen. Everybody's got a hungry heart. What does he mean by that? What does the Bible mean when it says heart to us? What does it mean? Okay. The Greeks felt that in your head was all the facts. Like the facts are in your head and in your heart. When they talked about heart, they meant your emotions. And we're influenced by that today. So we say that person has a lot of heart. When I was growing up as a kid, there was a boxer from Palmer Park, Maryland. His name is Sugar Ray Leonard. And people would say, he has a lot of heart. He was great because he would never give up. Rocky. Remember, yo, Rocky. Remember Rocky? 
Rocky had a lot of heart. Not the smartest guy in the room, but he had a lot of heart. He'd get up early in the morning, crack all those eggs and put them in there and just guzzle them down just like that. Who in the room tried that? Because I tried that as a kid. It's terrible. It's disgusting. <laughs> Nobody else tried it? One, okay, thank you very much. Thank you. I tried. It's disgusting. It's terrible. But he did it. He's a lot of heart. He's in a fight, right? Boxing against Apollo Creed. What did he do? His eyes were so puffed he couldn't see anymore. What did he say? Cut me. Not the smartest thing. So nobody would mistake, nobody would mistake Rocky for having a head full of facts, right? But he had a lot of heart. He had a lot of heart. Now, the Bible speaks very different when it talks about the heart. What does heart mean in the Bible? Here's what it means. First thing you need to know is when the Bible talks about a heart, a lot of number ones come up. A lot of number ones. Over and over and over and over again, the number ones. And let me, let me show what I mean by that. Heart is the number one most anthropological term used in the Bible, used over a thousand times in the Bible. Number one most used. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Number one thing. What's the number one thing you should do? What's the number one thing you should guard? I always thought the number one thing I should guard is my wallet. But what this says is, is the number one thing I should guard is my heart. Like the number one thing that I should do is guard my heart. Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Your treasure, Jesus speaking of, is what's most important in your life. What takes top priority? They come along and say, hey, Jesus, what's the number one command? Like what is the, like there's 613 commands in the Bible, right? 613. Tell us the number one of all 613. He says, what, what is it? Love God with all your heart, number one. So when you talk about heart in the Bible, the number one comes up all the time because it's what is most truly, truly important in your life. What is the number one thing in your life? That's what the heart represents. It's your control center. Because when push comes to shove, you're going to do what's most important in your heart. Like you might say a lot of stuff, you might do a lot of stuff. When, when the chips are down or where you're under pressure, you're going to do what's deep down in your heart. And that's why Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, what's really important in your heart, this is what you do. This is what it, this is what it means, right? You, what's most important to you is your words and your deeds are going to be affected by that. Somebody says, my family is number one. Like the number one thing in my life is my family. But over and over again, they choose work over their family. Like when they have to, they choose work. Or they choose personal comfort, they choose something else. Would you then say, well, okay, yeah, your family is number one. Of course, you'd say no. Because when push comes to shove, when you really have to make a pressurized choice, if you're always choosing work or you're always choosing something else, then your family really isn't number one because what's in your heart is something else. A famous saying that a lot of parents say, a lot of parents say, we say this about our kids, right? I just want my kids to be happy. I just want my kids to be happy. And there's a family, this is a true story, there's a family, and they had a rough upbringing like when they were kids and now they're parents and they want their kids to be happy and they're really doing their best to give their kids the best and they're educating them the best and encouraging on education and one of their kids, really, really smart, becomes a doctor, becomes a brilliant doctor right? Has great job, makes great money, is really a big time. I mean, for these parents who grew up from where they from, great status, right? All of this is coming together. And one day this child comes by the house after doing all that and says, you know what? I'm really unhappy. I'm unhappy as a doctor. I want to go do this job. And this job over here didn't have any status, didn't make any money. And the parents said, who cares about your happiness? We don't care about your happiness. You're not quitting that job. We've come from nothing. You are going to keep that job. So what is really important? Those are the hard questions that you see. What is really in your heart? And when the Bible talks about heart, it talks about 
What is truly number one in your life? Okay, so that's heart. So there you go. That's what we're talking about today. Changing priorities. As St. Augustine says, the problem with the heart is we have disordered loves. All right, so what's top priority? What's number one in your heart? Now, here we go. How do you change it? The Bible gives us two clear ways. This is what we're going to hit on today. What are the two clear ways in the Bible that you change your heart? Because when you change your heart, you change your words. One is mystical. One is practical. One is mystical. One is practical. What do I mean when I talk about mystical? If you look, you go on your Google machine, right? And you put in the word mysticism. It's going to say it's a religious practice like praying, meditating on the Bible, fasting, waiting on God, silence, looking to God and asking God for a spiritual understanding or a comprehension that is beyond you. So we pray, God, give me your heart. Rearrange the priorities in my heart because there's things I want to do and I stop doing them. But God, if you'll make my heart align with your heart, my life will be changed. Christian mystics. John the Baptist is considered a Christian mystic. The Apostle Paul is considered a Christian mystic. Now, Christian mystics are not to be mistaken or confused with the Washington mystics. The Washington mystics are something completely different. People reminded me last week when I talked about the Nats. God bless them there in the World Series. Isn't this awesome? It's fantastic. That's right. It's great. People said, well, what about the WNBA champions, Washington mystics? Does anybody think about that? There we have some clapping. So I got a little message from somebody. They said, Elena Deladon, who is the MVP of the league, plays for the Washington Mystics, world champions, right? She threw out the pitch Tuesday when the Nats crushed the St. Louis Cardinals. Isn't that awesome? And then she dropped the puck for the Caps, and the Caps crushed their opponent. So the question was, what would happen if Elena Deladon did the coin toss the Redskin game? I know exactly what would happen. Listen, her life is going really well right now. And if I was her agent, I'd say, don't get anywhere near them. Don't show up at Redskin Park. Don't get near the field. Don't even attend the game. Your life is going great. You don't need that curse in your life. That curse in your life. We're talking a lot about words, right? Words can get you fired. Jay Gruden, Washington Redskins coach, you're fired. He got fired. Those are the greatest words he's ever heard in his life. The man's going to get his life back. He gets to step out from underneath the curse. All right. Very frustrated about the Redskins. I have not watched a game this season. What is Christian mysticism? Mysticism is when you pray and when you fast and when you meditate on the Bible and when you wait on God and when you sit in silence in Acts chapter 2, right? In Acts chapter 2, Jesus says in chapter 1, listen, everybody, my disciples, I want you to wait and I want you to pray because the Holy Spirit is going to come. Wait and pray. So they're doing that. Christian mysticism. They're waiting. They're praying. God, enter into our hearts. And they're praying and they're praying for days and days. And they're talking with each other and they're meditating and they're sitting and they're praying and they're seeking. They're seeking God. That God. And what happened? God showed up. And we're told in Acts chapter 2, at the very beginning of that chapter, it says, on the day of Pentecost this happened. Now, a lot of people refer to this as the birthday at the beginning or the creation of the Christian church. Controversy around that, but a lot of people believe this is it. Whatever the case, everybody agrees. Everybody agrees that this is a momentous moment, Acts chapter 2. Really really, really big moment. Day of Pentecost. Now, they are very, the, the, the audience reading this, 
that is written in Acts. Extremely familiar, much more familiar than you or I with the Bible. So when it starts by saying the day of Pentecost, all of a sudden, all the light bulbs go off in their mind. They're like, oh, okay, we know what this means because everything, there's no random details in the Bible, everybody. Everything tracks to something else. So when it says the day of Pentecost, immediately the audience goes back and says, ah, yes, we know what. What do we celebrate on the day of Pentecost? We celebrate on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, right? 50 days after Passover. We celebrate the harvest, which is a huge celebration time, but we also celebrate when Moses went up on the mountain, God descended on the mountain, and the law was given, the creation of the law. Now, you have a couple things that are tracking all together here that's in their minds, because for them, seamless. They were so familiar with the Bible. The world was created as God hovers over creation and the world is created. Then God hovers over Mount Sinai and the law is created and it's given. And now the prophets after that said, there'll come a day when I'm going to write my laws in your heart. You know, we feel this disjointedness. There's a person I want to be and there's a person I am. There's a person I aspire to be and then there's a person I really am. This is one day you're going to get a new heart. The prophets, prophets, you're going to get a new heart and I'm going to write my laws on your heart. And on the day of Pentecost, God created, as he hovered over them, he created new hearts. He changed their hearts as they sought him, as they sought him, as they prayed, as they fasted, as they talked, and their hearts were changed. Now, what's the first thing that happened when their hearts got changed? Told right in Acts chapter 2. It's amazing. If you haven't read it, read Acts chapter 2. It's a very important moment in the life of the world because the whole world was changed as a result of what's taking place in Acts chapter 2. The world was literally changed. First thing that takes place when their hearts get healed and their heart gets changed, their words are changed. We are told that they spoke with new tongues. We are told that they begin to praise God with their tongues. So when your heart is healed, your tongue is healed. Matter of fact, after this, People heard them, like all these nations, it lists a table of nations. So all these nations are listed in Acts chapter 2. All these people, right, from all over the world were there in Jerusalem that day. And they hear them praising God in their own language. And they're like, what are you got? What are you doing? And Peter gets up and he preaches a message to them. And in the message, this is what he says. He says, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. The heart and the tongue are connected just like Jesus says. If you change your heart, if you heal your heart, you'll heal your tongue. That is the direct effect. This is exactly what Jesus' brother James is saying. He's saying, you can't say your heart has been transformed. Like, like Christ has entered your heart and your tongue hasn't been changed? He says, that wouldn't make any sense. Your words change as a result of it. In Ephesians, we're told that Christ can dwell in our hearts richly. When that happens, our tongues are changed. We can't talk the same anymore. Now, here's really what's really critical, everybody. Ephesians also talks about this. Paul, in this letter to the church at Ephesus, says, all of us need to be enlightened to the truth about who Jesus Christ really is in our hearts. May your hearts be enlightened to the truth about Christ. There's a lot of misunderstandings about Jesus. And a bunch of us in this room and all around the world, there's a tremendous misunderstanding. And I know this is going to seem so trite that I'm going to say so quickly. Just try to put all those misunderstandings and misrepresentations out of the way. Can we talk for just a moment, just a moment, what it truly, truly means for Christ to dwell in your heart? And what would be the effect of that if Christ was... Because the Bible actually tells us what the effect of that would be. And my, my question to you is, wouldn't you want somebody like your next door neighbor, wouldn't you want desperately for your next door neighbor to have Christ dwelling in their heart or your boss or the people who work for you or your spouse? 
even if you're an atheist, even if you're agnostic, even if you're of another religion, wouldn't you want what I'm about ready to describe? Wouldn't you want the people around you to have Christ dwelling in your heart? So nine things happen when Christ is dwelling in your heart. So here's, it's from Galatians. It says, when Christ dwells in your heart, when the Spirit comes down, you're more loving. You're just more loving. You speak the truth in love, right? You stand up for truth. You stand up for love, right? You're more love. You're a more loving person. The second thing that happens, you become more joyful. In a world that's stressed out, in a world that can be depressed about, oh, this is happening, you just become filled with this supernatural joy that's becoming from Christ because your heart has changed. You become more peaceful. In a city where there is no peace, you become more peaceful. You become more patient. In a city that's really impatient, people are looking at you, what's up with you? I just, I don't know. My heart's been changed and I'm just more patient for some reason. Has that happened to you? This is what it means to have Christ in your heart. You become more kind in a city that can be rude, in a workplace that can be rude, in a home that can be rude. You, for some reason, have become more kind. You become more goodness, more gentleness, more faithfulness. How many times have you said to yourself, how many times have I said to myself, oh man, I start something and I stop. I wish I could just stick with it. I start on these good things and I stop. I wish I could say, I'm so inconsistent. And then lastly, self-controlled. These are the nine marks. Now, I'm going to come back to the original question. Wouldn't you want to be around somebody who's loving, patient, kind, peaceful, joyful, self-controlled, all of these goodness, they have gentleness? Of course. Of course you want to be around somebody like that. You don't want to have a next-door neighbor who's something other than that so the whole world would become a better place. Now, I, you know... I was driving to an appointment this past week. I had to go over. I had to go across the Wilson Bridge. And I left in plenty of time. But there was a problem. And if you've been around the Beltway before, driving from Virginia into Maryland across the Wilson Bridge, then you know that there's like a couple lanes that say local traffic. That just means you can get on and off, right? And then it, I don't know if this is express. I don't know what it says, but whatever. I think it might say express. I took those lanes so I didn't have to deal. It's because it's supposed to be faster. And lo and behold, it wasn't faster. Actually, it was phenomenally much slower, okay? Like stops. Like I'm watching the cars over here in the local that's supposed to be slow, and they're just flying by, just, just going. And we're just sitting here stopped, and I'm getting later and later. And you know that, you, you know that pressure you feel? Ooh. And finally, I just thought to myself, I said, man, I sure hope these guys over, over in the local lanes get stopped somewhere and they have to sit in traffic soon. Hopefully there's some kind of roadblock up there for them because this is totally wrong. And in the midst of me thinking that so strongly, you know, I got pulled. I was listening to a book about the love of Jesus. Right? <laughs> I thought, Do you know what I'm saying? Dwelling in our hearts. 2,000 years ago, prisoners right? Polytheistic prisoners praying to all the gods. You know what they would pray for in prison? God, would you, gods, would you arrange for a Christian to be arrested and imprisoned today? You know why they would pray for that? Because the Christian with Christ dwelling in their hearts would share their food, would share their bread. That's what it means to have Christ dwelling in us. So let's remove all the misunderstandings. Here's the nine marks. These nine things. When you have a changed heart, here's the nine things that happen. And all of those things, love, joy, peace, they come out in your words. They come out in your deeds. As, as the Bible says, as Paul says, in everything you do, word and deed, let it all be done for the glory of Christ. Our world would be a better place. So we should pray for it. It's a mystical thing. Pray, fast, sit, wait. God, please, come down 
reprioritize my heart so that you're number one. Because really, like Bruce Springsteen said, we all have a hungry heart. And we search, look, try to fill that hunger up in many ways. And what the scriptures say, what Christ is saying is only in reality, this is the only thing that's going to fill the need of that hungry heart. So Peter, at the end of his message, after he's talking to everybody in Acts chapter 2, it says that they were cut to the, of all things, heart. And they made Christ the Lord of their life. He made him number one in their, in their heart. So there's the mystical way. Here's the second way. You've got to have both. You can't have one. Well, I want to choose because we're either drawn to practical or drawn to mystical. You can't do that. You've got to be drawn to both because it's going to take both to make this happen. So let's do. How does it happen in a practical way? Uh, Proverbs chapter 4. This is very good. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep in your heart, for they bring life to those who find them. In other words, your heart is filled, no longer hungry, and healing to their whole body. And here's our verse. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So if you notice there, the eyes, the ears, the feet, it's habits. What it's talking about is what are your habits? And then it says it's a path. So what it's pointing to here is what are your daily habits? Whatever your daily habits are, it's going to have a huge impact on your heart. If you want to guard your heart, you're going to guard your heart by guarding your daily habits. So basically what it's saying here is if you have wise habits, it's going to change your hearts. If you have wise habits, it's going to change your hearts. And if you have wise habits that change your hearts, it's going to change your words. So you have to have wise habits. You can pray all you want, but if you have bad habits, if you don't follow the wise habits, it's not going to change your heart. You can pray and God like, you know what? You're not getting anywhere. Pray fast all you want. You have to combine your prayer and your waiting and your meditating, your fasting with wise habits. And the key habit here is we want to talk about today. Key. There are habits in life. And you probably have read the books about habits. There are certain habits that are just habits and there are habits that are key habits. Key habits are something that change everything else. And a key habit for Jesus Christ is he did not come to be served, but to serve. And when you serve, it changes your heart because it's a key habit. It's a key habit. It changes everything. It's integral. There is a very short list of key habits that will change your heart. There's a very short list of ways, and all of us want to do this. All of us want to connect with God in a powerful way, in a deep way, in a relevant way, in a very meaningful way. And if we want to do that, then we have to have changed hearts. And in order for us to have a changed heart, we have to serve. It's not like you say, you know what? I want to experience God in a really powerful way. I just don't want to serve. I can't do that. I don't want to have a servant start. I tell this to couples all the time in premarital counseling. I said, look, <laughs> if you want to have a great marriage, I can tell you right now, here's one of the things at the top of your list that you need to start doing. Start praying for a servant's heart. Because if both of you don't have a servant's heart, ain't going to happen. And if you want to have an experience with God and you want to have your heart changed so your words are changed and you're like, I don't want to have a servant's heart, it's just never, ever, ever going to happen. Because the way we change our heart is by wise habits, and that is by serving. So you got this uh, 20-year-old Washington Nats player. His name is Soto. Anybody know Soto? Okay. He's doing really good this year. Monday night, he had a decent game, but he wasn't happy with it. 
Wasn't happy. So on Monday night after the game was over, he got his batting coach. They went into the cages until after midnight. Now, this guy is having a great series. And this guy at 20 years of age goes into the batting cages and stays till after midnight working on his swing. That's a great habit. And the next day on Tuesday, when they explode seven runs in the first inning, it was an awesome thing to behold. He was right in the middle of it. What are your wise habits as it pertains to you changing and protecting and guarding your heart? Serving is one of those things. This is, this is the reality. There's a principle in the Bible about service, about giving, about being turned out away from yourself. And if you are, if you are, we all have this tendency to want to turn into ourselves and what's in it for me. But when we turn out from ourselves and we serve to other people, there's a very strong principle, start to finish in the Bible, that it works deep down in our hearts. Proverbs 11.25, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Now, I want to go to the connecting story. I mentioned Acts chapter 2, this momentous moment in the church. Their hearts were changed. Their tongues were changed. It was an incredible, incredible moment. I want to go to the connecting story that we find in the Hebrew Bible, Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, there's kind of this little wacky story that if you read, it's like, what in the world's going on here? Unless you look really deeply and you think deeply about what really is happening. You look for the wisdom in this. Here's the connecting piece between Genesis 11 and Acts chapter 2. The first thing, which they would have recognized immediately because they're so familiar with the Bible. And in Genesis 11, you get this list. We call it the table of nations. You have all these nations listed. Boom, 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 all these like 10 different nations listed. Acts chapter 2, you have the same thing. And so immediately as they're reading, like, oh, okay, these two stories are connected together. Something happening here. What happens with the Tower of Babel? Other than the film that Brad Pitt made about this a few years ago called Babel, all right? If you know that, you know a portion of the story. All right, so they want to build this tower, right? They say, we're going to build this tower up to the sky, and then they say this. Why? Why do they want to do it? Because we want to make a name for ourselves. There's your key point right there name for ourselves. We want to serve ourselves. We want to do something for ourselves. This is about us. They were curved into themselves. What was the direct effect of that, doing something for themselves? Their communication, their words got corrupted. Everything went bad because they weren't serving others. They were serving themselves. And when we just curve in towards ourselves and take care of ourselves, our heart goes bad and our communication goes bad. And so everything went bad. It was destroyed. Now, Acts chapter 2. What happens there? Their hearts are changed. Christ comes into their hearts. The Spirit descends upon them. Their hearts are touched and changed. And it's the reverse of the curse of the Babel. Genesis chapter 11. The reverse of the curse. Their hearts are changed. Their tongues are healed. If you want to speak new words, you can jump up and down and try with sheer willpower to change your words and to do the right thing. Or you could seek a changed heart. You could do, as St. Augustine said, to seek God and to practice wise habits, the wise habit, key habit of serving other people, and allow God on a daily basis over its path. Remember, Proverbs talking about a path. It's a daily, daily, daily increment, increment. You're not going to come in here and like, you know what, I never serve anybody and I want to totally change my heart. And so today, presto, bang, like a microwave, you're going to walk out of here with a servant's heart. It's never going to happen. Proverbs says it's going to happen on a daily basis. But we can make key decisions. We could say, hey, today is the day that I understand what this is all about, and I want to start serving. Because when you change your heart, you change your words. Now, we talk about it, Grace, here at church all the time. We have the three, the big three. 
We have the three C's. This church only does one thing over and over again, and that's the three C's. Christ, community, and compassion. I don't have time to unpack all of it, but I will tell you that the one of the C's, compassion for us, is serving other people. It's really important to serve. Why? Because whether you're a church person or a non-church person, whether you've been in church all your life, you're birthed on a pew like me, or this is your first time ever in church in your entire life, we can. People come to church for one reason. You want to connect with God in some meaningful way. In some meaningful, powerful way, you want to connect with God. How do you do that? And so we talk about these three C's. Because one of the powerful ways that you're going to do that is when you begin to practice the habit of serving other people. And your heart is going going to be changed as a result of that. Now, what is really cool is recently, Anna, who is our director of Compassion and Justice, was meeting with Arlington Bridge Builders. Now, I want to read you who is, because somebody's like, well, what is Bridge Builders? I'm going to read you right off the website. This is their mission. They lead individuals and families out of homelessness and into stable, independent futures. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And she's meeting with them, and they just randomly said this, as you know, I just want to tell you this, Anna that all of our superstar, all-star volunteers all come from Grace Community Church. And when Anna shared that in staff meeting, I was like, yes. Why? Because we're like, yes, Grace is the best. No. No. But because our goal is, is that if we cultivate servants' hearts, well, then you are actually going to get the very thing that you're hungry for, Bruce Springsteen. You're going to finally experience that heart that's so hungry being filled up because the only way for it to ever be filled, that hungry heart, is to have a servant's heart, is to serve other people, to do things that are both mystical and practical, wise daily habits. Now, it is Team Sign Up Sunday. And you might say, oh my gosh, I've been coming to Grace a while. We seem to do this twice a year. You're right. You've been watching. You've been paying attention. We do do it twice a year. I think, let me just put this out there. Why do we do Team Sign Up Sunday? Is it because we can't pull off Sunday services without you? Yes, it's true. We can't pull Sunday services off without you. It's actually very, very true. But it's not the main reason we do it. It's not what's in our heart. It's not what's in our heart. What is the big priority for us? is that if we cultivate servants' hearts, and maybe that's serving here at Grace, serving somewhere. If we cultivate servants' hearts, then we have a chance of filling up that need, that hunger that is in all of our hearts and connect with God in a meaningful and a powerful way. Because when we guard our heart, we protect our heart, and we have hearts for Christ, then our lives are changed, our words are changed, our future are changed, and will change the future of so many other people. So we have Team team Sign Up Sundays to allow us to say, hey, look, here's the things that we do. And if you're interested, here's an opportunity to serve. We have hundreds of people that serve every week. It takes hundreds of people. I say this all the time. Some of the greatest people I know in this city, and I've lived in this city my entire life, serve here at Grace Community Church. It is absolutely fantastic. So you want to meet some great people, sign up for a team, at least think about it, pray about it. But I will tell you this. No guilt. You don't have to sign up for a team. Do we want you to? Yes. But you don't have to. But deeply consider the hunger of your heart is to connect with God. We all have it. The Bible says God has placed eternity in our hearts, which means basically we have a desire for, as Bruce Springsteen said, for our hearts to be filled. That can't happen if we're not serving because it's totally consistent with Christ. You have to serve to be changed. It is truly who you are, who God has created you to be. So I encourage you today to consider 
signing up for a team and serving. So you want to change your words, you have to change your heart. And that's done in a very practical way. And that's done in a very mystical way through prayer and meditation and silence. We're going to end this sermon same way we end every single one of these sermons, right, for the past six weeks. And that is with us praying this proclamation prayer that's straight from the Scripture. It's Psalm 19:14. Would you please join me in that? Ready? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Thank you.